2006, I had this crazy calling that I felt. I felt called to leave the wilderness known as Wolcott, New York, and come back to Syracuse to plant a church here in my hometown. Now, as I felt this calling, there were a number of books that were being written. Books on church planting, for sure. It was kind of the thing. But there was another set of books that were being written that caused me to scratch my head. They were books uh, that really got at cultures uh, discussed with the church and at the very same time, cultures remaining love for Jesus. See, maybe on the shelves, you see books like Life After Church, or uh, another one, Dear Church, a letter where some disgruntled Christian uh, just basically says, here's all the reasons why I can't stand going anymore, even though I still love Jesus. How about, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, was another book that was written. The one that probably stands out the most just in terms of its title, which is very simple, two words, Quitting Church. Right? Other books like uh, Pagan Christianity and Unchristian were being written by people that were taking a look at the harsh reality that many people who called themselves Christians weren't really living in a way that lined up with that confession. And so there was this ongoing love for Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy, as one uh, entertainer wore a t-shirt that declared that. But at the same time, there was a disgust and a displeasure and and I'm done with the church. Maybe the book that maybe speaks to it most clearly and directly was a book written by Dan Kimball, kind of one of the leading pastors in the emerging church movement. Dan Kimball wrote a book called They Love Jesus But Not the Church really reflective of where culture was in reference to Jesus, their understanding of him, and at the same time, how they viewed their relationship with God's people, the church. Let me ask you a question. We're in this series, Our Greatest Value. Can you say, God is my greatest value? but I don't like the church. Can you say that? Is that fair? Is that appropriate? Is that consistent? Can we love Jesus, but not the church? How does our love for God, how does our valuing of God, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, how does that influence, impact in any way our posture and our relationship to his people? Can we love Jesus but not the church? Is there any connection whatsoever between our relationship with God, how we love and value him, and how we relate to one another in the local church of Jesus Christ? That's the question I want to throw out there today for us. You know my answer. Yes, there is a connection. So let's establish it together. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 
5, verses 13 through 15. There were a number of places I could have gone, but for whatever reason, the Spirit of God drew me here. To Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15. Let's read this together and see what the Spirit has to say through the Word. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. I think it's really part of human nature to crave and celebrate freedom. Right? You may have seen the pastor who was put in prison for quite some time Saeed Abudini, just released this week. There was a public outcry for his release. He was in prison in Iran for being a Christian. Right? There's this crave, free him. It's, it's not just, it's not right. You can't do that. You can't enslave and put into bondage someone unjustly. It's not right. So set him free. And then now, in this climactic fashion, maybe even unexpected, out of nowhere, he's released. And we celebrate. Right? We think about movies that we love, right? Where, like, I'm thinking of Braveheart, right? Where Mel Gibson plays the, the famous William Wallace. Eh, I'm not very good at that. Anyway, um, plays William Wallace. And what is he doing? He's giving his life. He's laying, giving all of his time and priority to the freeing of his people. In, that, in the end, he's willing to even die and does so, dies for the freedom. And what does he yell at the top of his lungs when the sword is about to hit his throat? Freedom! And we all cry. Okay, I cry. Okay, because I cry at commercials. I cry at everything. That's just, that's just the way it is. You know, anyway, just a side note. What's with Netflix? Like every commercial is the dad and the daughter saying goodbye. Anybody? It's like every time there's a commercial, I'm crying. Like can't they? They need some more advertising on that. Anyway, freedom. We love it. We crave it. We celebrate it. It's, it's part of it. Is that not really the, uh, what American culture really is all about? I mean, freedom. Let freedom reign, right? We love freedom. We value it, we crave it, and when we have it, we celebrate it. And here's the wonderful reality that each and every one of us gets to remember and maybe even hear for the first time today, that through Christ, 
God has called each and every one of us to that which we crave, freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. The people in the church, those who believe and belong to Jesus, have been called to freedom because Christ has secured freedom for us who trust in him. Freedom from the law and freedom from sin. Christ secured it for his people. That's the gospel. We can't talk about our relationship with one another before we, without talking about our relationship with God and what Christ has done for us. We need to hear the gospel, and we hear it today. You were called to freedom. If you go back to Galatians 3.13, we see how that happened. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus set us free by paying the price, redemption, set us free from the law. That is, we no longer are held under the tyranny of the law that we cannot obey because of our sin. We're set free. We're no longer held in bondage by sin. That Christ's work was sufficient payment to set us free from what the law and, and sin enslaved us to. Disobedience. Do you see my point here? Christ has set us free from the law and from sin. We're no longer held in bondage to its dominion and power. We're called to freedom. 1 John 4.9 connects his redemption to love. His, his, his life given in death is connected to love. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. By sending his son into the world to be the propitiation, that wrath-averting sacrifice for our sins. He set us free. His love set us free. We have been freed by the love of Christ. We can't miss that. We've been called to freedom, and that call is loud. It has volume only because of the work of Jesus motivated by his great love for his people. He served us. He loved us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. When's the last time you heard that? You say, well, I hear it all the time. Well, you need to hear it again and think on it anew. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Christ died for you. And showed the greatest love that could ever be known. Greater love has no man than this, than what? He laid down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. He served us. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come into the world to what? To be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus loved us by serving us, and he served us by giving his life to us. That's the gospel. That's what sets us free from sin and the law. And here's the climax in many ways. For those who believe and belong to him who have received this love, 
who know this love, who that love has been applied to you through faith in the power of the Spirit. Nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from this love. It's a done deal. Signed, sealed, delivered. Nothing, no matter who we are, no matter where we have come from, no matter what sin we've committed, no matter how bad we think it is, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can put you back into bondage. You're free by the love of Christ. Let that truth just, let it sit there. We may have heard it all before. And yet, oh, how we need its reminder constantly. We are dearly loved by God. God loves you. Do you know that? He loves you. And he's loved you in Jesus. And Jesus loved you by serving you, by giving his life to you. And when he gave his life to you, he set you free from the law and from the flesh, from sin. That reality is one you would think would be a game changer. Like, that kind of freedom that Jesus has secured should change the game. Like, that's what happens. When you're set free from something, it radically transforms your life, doesn't it? It changes everything, doesn't it? It is no small thing to be set free from the law, to be set free from sin. This is a monumental reality that changes the game forever. It changes our relationship with God, and it changes our relationship with one another in the church. There is an opportunity that we must seize that is built on the freedom that Jesus has secured. And that's where I want to turn for the rest of this message today. And I want to warn us to not waste that opportunity. Bob Beale is a kind of corporate consultant. He's a, he speaks often. He's kind of like a modern-day Solomon with some of his sayings and words and proverbs, if you will. Masterplanning.org, feel free to look it up if you're interested in that kind of thing. I once heard him speak, he talked about three kinds of people. He talked about goal setters, problem solvers, and opportunities. Opportunity takers. 
right? There's people that like to set goals and go after it. There are people that identify problems and then try to fix it. There are other people that uh, their eyes go like this every time you tell them about something. Ooh, we could do this. Ooh, we could do that. I've got a close friend that everything is like, ooh, let's do this. Ooh, let's do that. Like he lives life with his eyes like this. You know anybody like that? Whoa, 50 cent wings, yeah. <laughs> right? He's holy. He's not trying to manipulate or hurt anybody. He's just, this is going to be awesome. Wow. Got a close friend like that. Doreen jokes, whenever he and I are together, she's like, I got to go. <laughs> True statement. Now, I don't know where you would find yourself in the uh, problem solver, goal setter, uh, opportunity taker. Know this, that uh, I kind of lean opportunity taker. And if you're a problem solver, you drive me crazy. But I need you. Okay? What do you mean it's not going to go well? What are you talking about? Get behind me, Satan, right? Like, it's called wisdom. Anyway, very important part of life, <laughs> logic. <laughs> um, I think in this moment, when we hear this truth, we all should enter into that category at least for a moment. Wow. Christ has secured freedom. This is an incredible, this is a wonderful opportunity. Our eyes should open wide to this reality in how we relate to one another. We have an opportunity. We don't need to waste it. We don't need to waste it like the Galatians were. Right? The whole point of the letter is Paul is telling them, well, dude, what gospel have you heard? That's not the one I preached to you. That's not the freedom I told you. You're freed from the law. Stop trying to go back to the law to obtain righteousness. Look, it's through Christ. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't go back to the law as a means to righteousness. You've got to just continue to trust in Jesus. So legalism is not the way to take advantage of this opportunity. That's wasting it. But lest we think that it's just forget the law, neither is lawlessness, right? It's, it's not a new opportunity for the flesh to do whatever we want. That's not what the love of God has secured for us. Like, I don't have any authority anymore. I don't have to submit to any rules. I don't have to, it's just do whatever I want and wait for Jesus to return. That's wasting the opportunity. But I think a lot of us, too, when we think about freedom, we say, I can do whatever I want, and I have zero obligation to anybody else. We live independent. We live isolated. We can respond and think that freedom is I can do anything I want and I am obligated to no one. But understand this, when we take freedom that way, we are wasting the gospel in our lives. We're missing the point altogether what God has done. Look at what the text says. You are called the freedom brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That we are a people that have received love, but now we're motivated by love. And love is not a feeling like, oh, I, I, you know, some emotion. That love, like the love of God, is an action. It gets translated into action. That those who receive the love of Jesus are those who begin to love his people. Verse, uh, looking at John's epistle, chapter 4, we love because why? 
he first loved us. So the love of Christ motivates us to love one another. That our dominant posture toward all those in, in the church is love. It's love. Beloved, if God so loved us, if that's true, we also ought to what? Love one another. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So this love God, love neighbor, the great commandment, receiving love means giving love. Right, That our, our posture to one another is to love the church, is to love one another. So the question is, can we say we love God and then not the church? The answer is clearly no. Clearly no. Donald Whitney in his book, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, question number six is this. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Let me ask you that. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Do you love the church? I can't answer that question for you. It's between you and the Spirit of God. Do you love the church of Jesus? Maybe one way to measure that is to look at your actions, not necessarily your feelings, right? Because remember, love is an action based on promise. It's covenant. And so the question for us is to really understand, do we love God is to look at our, how we live. What do we do in relationship to one another? And that's exactly what we see here, that love leads to service. It leads to action. That freedom has created an opportunity for us to serve. And when you hear that, you should be like, what? That makes no sense. Because the word that is chosen there is actually, it, it could mean servant or slave. Which I think creates kind of a paradox in, in, in what we're trying to teach this morning. We're saying that you're free. But you've been freed to be a slave again. You hear that? Through love, serve one another. And it brings me back to our series in Exodus where we saw that these people, right, talk about being set free, were set free from Egypt. They were delivered from, from bondage in Egypt 400 plus years. And were they set free so that they could do whatever they wanted and have absolutely no obligation to anyone? No. They were made, they were no longer going to be slaves and servants of Pharaoh, but they were now going to be set free. So what? So they could be slaves and servants of Yahweh. It's not a matter of that. It's really becomes a matter of who you serve, not if you serve. That you're going to serve someone. You're going to lovingly, in action, do something for someone. And what the text is telling me is that we are to receive this freedom in keeping with what we see that happened to the, to the uh, Israelites in, in Egypt. We're to think that we've been set free so that we can now posture ourselves and fulfill the duties of a slave and a servant in the household of God. You're called to look at one another and say, uh, uh, how can I help? What do you need? How can I come alongside of you? What are your needs? 
that we have been set free so that we might serve one another with the motive being the love of God in Jesus Christ. Renovation Church, if you value God as your greatest treasure, if he's your greatest value, you will love and serve the church. That's what the gospel does in our heart. It's what we'll do. But for so many of us, we approach spirituality, we approach our relationship with God with not Christ and the gospel at the center, but not uh, others uh, there as well, but we often and, and tragically and destructively put ourselves at the center of our own relationship with God, which is an oxymoron. We have an all, it's all about me attitude. This uh, uh, pendulum swing of my personal relationship with Jesus has swung too far. And so many of us approach our relationship with God as it's just me and Jesus, baby. I can love Jesus and be completely disgusted with the church. I don't need to delight in the bride. I don't need to posture. I can just love Jesus and I'll be doing just fine. But that is unbiblically grounded. It's not true. It's not what the, what the gospel really does for us, is it? And we see at the closing verse, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out. Be warned, you will consume one another. That is, when we put ourselves at the center, we become predators in relationship to other people. We're going to destroy what God is building. We're going to hurt. We're going to stand in the way. Now, granted, God will build his church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. But understand this, that if you truly know the love of God in Christ, you will be ready and willing and able to give your time, to give your resources, to give your emotion, to give up your homes, to literally lay down your lives for one another in the church. You're willing to even give up the ultimate Saturday morning for the living God and his people. So many of us put ourselves at the center. We have this conversation in our home all the time. You could never imagine it, I know. You could never expect to, those verbose, never shut up people called the Maisies. And uh, their kind of assertive attitude, give me what I want all the time. And that kind of look on their face like this. I don't know where they get it. They didn't get it from me. You know what I mean? Okay, they did. But anyway... You can imagine five of us in a small car traveling to Virginia uh, called the Centra. You can imagine the volume and the assertiveness. I want Chick-fil-A. I want Wendy's. I want... Everybody knows what they want. They're not afraid to throw it out there. And all of a sudden, we're in this big fight about where we're getting French fries. None of you understand this, I know. It's just an amazing problem. But here's the deal. Because I'm an experienced sinner... I started asking this question when we get ourselves into these I want, I want, I want, he, you know, I'm mad at this person, you're mad at this isn't fair kind of fight in the car. Who's at the center of your mind right now? That's all I ask. Who's at the center of this situation for you? And every one of them always have to admit me. That's why we're fighting, that's why I have a problem. 
because you put yourself at the center. And sometimes all five of us do. The reason we're having a fight, the reason we have conflict, we're literally going after one another. We're trying to fight. We're biting and devouring. We're like, we're like lions going after uh, its prey. And we're destroying the community that God is building because we refuse to take ourselves out of the center and put Christ there and put others' needs and preferences over our own. When self is at the center of our spirituality, it is a destructive reality for the church. And I wonder if many of us here today struggle with that. That you come week in and week out with the expectation, I'm going to be fed. That's why I'm going. This is good for me. This is part of me having a well-rounded American life. But what the text is saying is that that kind of attitude is predatorial. And what the gospel really secures is a selflessness, a Christ at the center willing to make myself available primarily to his priorities and the needs and concerns of other people. That's what the gospel does. Is your life oriented in that way? If you value God, it is. We love because he first loved us. You know, each week we send out a you're up email. It's a reminder Right to those who are scheduled to serve. Those who have some particular role to fulfill in kids ministry or the worship team or uh, connections or the parking lot. And so many of you for so long have been so faithful and humble in your service. And we cannot thank you enough for that. Praise God for the way in which this congregation has exemplified Christ-like humble service. But there's part of me that thinks, too, that, that again, we do these in a practice, and Katie does a phenomenal job with the administration of that email. But I think to some degree, um, if we don't get that email, we know we're, we don't have to do anything. Right? We do that once a month. We schedule service. We need to do that practically. But I almost wonder that if the, the text is not speaking to us today to say, look, it, you're up every single week. You may not be scheduled for a particular role, but you're up every single Sunday. The, the, the gospel is propelling us every single week to think about Jesus first, others second, and ourselves way down the totem pole. That it's not about our needs being met primarily. It's about God being worshipped. It's about encouraging and caring for other people. And then you know what? Here's the deal. If everybody is coming to church in, with that kind of perspective, how can I give? How can I be a blessing? How can I be attentive to others and put Christ at the center? Guess what? Everybody's needs are met. Ever thought of that? I'll never forget being 18 years old and doing the unthinkable. Mr. Goddard, I want to marry your daughter. And for some reason, in the grace and sovereignty of God, he said, sure, with a number of contingencies, <laughs> being a good father. 
He said, it's clear to me that you love her. You've shown that. And he said, here's what I want you to do, because we had an 18-month engagement. I'll never forget it. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend the next 18 months thinking of her needs first. And I'm going to tell her the same for you. That becoming a family is about taking yourself out of the center of the room and putting the needs and the concerns of someone else first. Never forget that. Is that our mentality in the church? The needs, the concerns, the awareness, the attentiveness to others, or are we putting ourselves continually in the middle of our mindset and saying, it's all about me, what can I get? What have you done for me lately? You're not fulfilling my needs. You're not taking, I'm disappointed in you. I need to find another place that takes care of my perceived needs. You tracking me? God's calling us to give ourselves and to beware of self-centered, community-killing spirituality. That's what God is calling us to. And I think there are a couple poisons that just quickly need to be mentioned that are just a part of the American psyche. Two community killers. One, individualism. Right? It's the idea that everything exists for the individual rather than for the group. I think consumerism is also a major problem. Like Many of us approach church like we do ordering a drink at Starbucks. Don't we? That's how we approach relationships with one another. We look at the board and we say, what do I want today? What will make my stomach happy today? What will give me what I need today at very little cost? Now, some of you are like, $6 for a latte at very little cost. High expectation, low commitment. It's self-centered, extremely detrimental to biblical community. And very, uh, uh, it creates an obstacle to moving forward in the mission of God. They will know your Christians by what? By our love. Right? Uh, what was, I'm going blank on the verse. You, some of you probably know it, but that comes from one of Jesus' statements, right? By this they will know that you are my disciples. What? If you love one another. The mission of God's at stake. Beware of self-centered, community-destructive spirituality. It's about loving service. We can't come to the church as consumers. Can't. We can't approach community like Starbucks. We can't. It's not what the gospel has secured. This isn't about guilt and making people do more. This is about the gospel. This is about Jesus. And the saddest thing is when we don't step forward, it's not that, man, there isn't anybody to help. That's not really that sad. What's sad is that oftentimes it's a reflection that the gospel has not taken root to the degree that has reshaped the value of the people 
so that their lives are oriented to serve others. That's what's sad. That's what breaks my heart. The gospel is not being seen and proclaimed. But when it is, man is a beautiful, amen? And many of you, for seasons, have shown the beauty of the gospel through humble service. But many of us have ourselves at the center, and it's time to forget self. I think the image really is this. We need to move away from the marketplace when we think about church. right? That The work of Jesus did not establish for us a spiritual marketplace to consume preferred religious goods and services for our personal benefit, but rather the work of Christ has created for us a covenant family in which to love, to serve for the glory of the Father, the Father and the family. I think that's the, really the shift that needs to take place in our thinking. We live in Syracuse. Family means a lot to us. Appropriately so. But family also meant a lot to people in this world 2,000 years ago. Right? That being blood, like sharing DNA, meant allegiance, meant commitment, meant losing Saturdays, meant giving all of the money in your pocket, meant doing whatever it took to care for the needs of the sibling and the parent. That the family was a big deal. It was the primary commitment and allegiance. And that's what the gospel has made. He's made us a family. And I think we need to begin to look at one another in this room, not as people in the theater watching the show, but people in a family contributing to the same goals, the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about the Father. When it's about the Father, it's about the Son through the Spirit, caring for one another. And you know what? If I just focus on that, all of my needs will be taken care of by Christ. It's time to forget ourselves. Not think of ourselves less, or or think uh, less of ourselves, or more of ourselves, but think of ourselves less. And I love Tim Keller's book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It says this, The thing we would remember about a truly gospel-humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. You know those people. They always ask me how I'm doing. They always listen well. Man, matter of fact, I got a check in the mail from them last month. Because they heard that I was behind on my mortgage. People that are interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Pick up that book. It's a short read. The freedom. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. Be set free from self-centered spirituality. Let the gospel speak and transform your life. You've been set free from that. 
have been set free for love. When we value God, we love and serve his people, the church. You know, I was planting 10 years ago those books that I've already told you about. There was another book that came out that I couldn't help but buy. As I looked at the list of books that had quitting church, de-churched, this to the church, uh, I hate, hate the church, whatever, all the hate the church books. There was another one, you know, that wasn't on the bestseller list. Back in the corner, underneath all the boring lexicons and dictionaries in the pastor's help section. You know what it was called? Why We Love the Church by Kevin DeYoung. For whatever reason, I scratched my head as I looked at the bestsellers, but man, did I pick up why we love the church. Listen to what DeYoung says. As he writes the book, he says, we don't want Christians to give up on the church. See, many people have been hurt, disillusioned. We recognize that. We need to repent of our hypocrisy. We need to confess our sin. We need to be honest and authentic about our failures and call them what they are, not just unfortunate situations. Sin. And when we sin, we bite and devour one another. We leave a wake of pain and sorrow in lives of people. We need to just be honest about that and confess and say, we have not met up to our preaching and our confession. We have failed the world in many ways. Sometimes the best thing you can do to a world that is hurt is not to defend the church, but to just say, I'm sorry. We blew it. But we still love the church. Listen to what he says. In fact, we hope that this book might have some small effect in helping people truly love their local church, no matter how imperfect it may be and serve it faithfully for the long haul. The church we love is flawed and messed up as we are, but she's the bride of Christ nonetheless. And I might as well have a basement without a house, or a head without a body, as despise the wife my Savior loves. How can we turn our backs on the very thing Jesus received whips in his back for? He died for his people. He bled for the church. He loved the church to the end. He obeyed the Father for the sake of the church. He endured the great passion for the church. How can we conclude, I love Jesus, but I hate the church? Friends, make a commitment today. Oh, there it is, that word. Make a commitment to a covenant family. The same kind of commitment Jesus made to that family. An unshakable, unwavering, 
even though it will disappoint us often because we're all imperfect, flawed, messed up, jacked up people. What kind of commitment? See, commitment's what we fear the most, but it's our greatest friend. Right? Nobody wants to commit to anything today. They won't even RSVP to a party. It's kind of scary. What if something happens? What if we can't? We'll let you know. We don't want to commit. But commitment is where our freedom comes from. The commitment of Christ to do whatever it took to save us from that which enslaved us. And that commitment calls for our own commitment to him, his priorities. And there's no greater priority than his mission through his people. It's his people. He loves his people. Let's not waste the opportunity we have with the freedom Christ has given. Love the church. Serve the church. Give yourself to the church. Because when we value God, we love and serve his people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, In your divine grace, you set us free from the law and from sin and from death. I pray that every person in this room would celebrate freedom. But I pray that every person in this room would celebrate it in such a way to live in relationship to one another, in a way that is fitting and purposeful to what your freedom has secured, our love for one another. May this church be known for its love for one another, its care, its constant service, the fact that we have taken self out of the center and put Christ there and the needs of others there, that we're willing to give up everything and anything for our family. An eternal one that you have made through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Really, in many ways, this is a prayer that we be like Jesus. Sanctify us, purify us, humble us to be representations of the humility, the love, and the servant of Jesus. May this church be like Jesus. May When the world interacts with this world, may they know that we are Christians because of our love for one another. Only you can do this. We ask these things in Christ's name.